Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. We're continuing our series through the book of Romans. We've entitled this series, Righteousness Revealed. And we began this series four years ago, taking four chapters at a time each year. And we're coming close to the end of the journey. We're finishing up chapter 15 today, and that leaves us one chapter. And I have to say, I'm somewhat sentimental about the whole journey. I've uh, spent so much time in Romans with you, and I hope you feel the same way. We've learned so much together. Uh, But now we're in the latter part of chapter 15. Looking back over the past few Sundays, I don't know if you ever feel like this. After you say something, sometimes you reconsider it and go, I wish I would have said it like this. I wish, wish I'd have said this other thing, because I've titled today's message, The Gospel Church. And a few weeks ago, I titled the message, The Welcoming Church. And I thought, well, I should have stuck with that because I would have said The Welcoming Church, and then the next week, The Discerning Church, and then the next week, The Harmonized Church, and now this week, The Gospel Church. Because it really seems like the Apostle Paul is trying, uh, through the, uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to help the church in Rome to understand who they are. And I think today that that's what he's trying to do, the, what the Word of God's trying to do for us. Now, Today we're talking about the gospel church. Now the word gospel comes from an old English word, Godspiel. Godspiel. Spiel means uh, a story about or a word about God. So gospel uh, in the old English meant a story or a word about God. But in the original Greek, which is the uh, language of the New Testament, it, it was good news. Literally the, the, the word was good news. But you know, we live in a day today where there's not a lot of good news. Uh, If you tune in to watch the news, it's mostly bad news. But we have to remember that the news media is a business, and they're in the business to make money, and bad news sells. Violence sells, sex sells. If it bleeds, it leads. But aren't you sick and tired of all the bad news? I am, and I believe as followers of Jesus, as ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus, we're called to tell people the good news. But what does it look like for us to be the people of God proclaiming the good news of Jesus? What does it look like to be the gospel church? And let's remember, the church is not the steeple, the church is the the people. And so if you want to see our church, you don't look at the building. Besides, it's kind of helpful the fact that our building doesn't look like a church building anyway. But you look inside, you look to your neighbor, and you go, here we are, we're the church. That's who the church is, it's the people of God. And so we're to be the ones who talk about this good news about Jesus. And so in Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul described to the believers in Rome how they could partner with him, how they could be joined together with him for the sake of the gospel. And I believe today that we're called... We're called to partner together, to join together for the sake of the gospel. And as we look at the text today, I think we'll see five ways. Now, don't let that freak you out. I know, oh man, it's usually three. If he says five, I mean, we'll never make it out of here. But just, you know, just just hang on. And if we go around a curve too fast, just hang on. Don't don't let me lose you. I've got to move fast. I've got five ways we can join together in the ministry of the gospel. So let's read and then we'll talk about it. Chapter 15, starting at verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, 
that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. In present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is God's Word. We're looking here uh, at a long reading today, and may I say to you that preaching through a book like Romans, I, I think it's important that we read the long sections of text like this together. It allows you to recognize that even before I start preaching, where it's coming from. That it's not coming from me, but we're unpacking together that which God has delivered to us through His Word. And so when we read through a long section like this, you might be like, wow, it's a long section. Well, that's why we've got five ways we're going to look at it today. But it's also important that, that we take this journey together. So as I was reading, I was just thinking about, wow, we're taking a big bite of Scripture today, but it's important uh, to do this together as a church. Now here is the first of five ways on how we can join together in the ministry of the gospel. The first is this, by understanding that it's a priestly ministry. Understand that as a church, that we are acting as God's priests in the ministry of the gospel. Now you're saying, Gary, where'd you see that? Where'd you get that? Well, look at verse 16. In verse 16, the Apostle Paul's describing his ministry of the gospel as a priestly service. Do you see that in verse 16? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. 
That's the first way that I see that we as a church are to be a gospel church. We're to see ourselves as having a priestly ministry. Now, before I dig into that, let me just mention a couple of words in support of that. Paul uses, he says, priestly service. Then he says, so that the offering of the Gentiles, the word offering, that's clearly a priestly word, may be acceptable, again, priestly word, sanctified by the, made consecrated, sanctified, set apart. These are all, this is all priestly language or, or what you would call temple or tabernacle language. The Apostle Paul is using a, a word picture here to say that, that his ministry, he's really acting as a go-between a priest between God and the Gentile people. And when he offers them the gospel, then and they believe the gospel, he offers them as a living sacrifice to God. So that that's his offering to God. His offering to God is the people that are coming to Christ. It's, he sees it as a priestly service. And I, I really believe that Paul's giving the example of his ministry to the people of Rome, the believers in Rome, so that they will see that they too are involved in this priestly service, this call of the gospel. Now before we continue, let's take a note of a couple things. One is the word gospel. It's in the, the text three times. You'll see it in verse 16, verse 19, and then again in verse 20. Now we said the old English word for gospel is God spiel, a word about God. Uh, the, the Greek word is euangelion, euangelion. And it literally means good news. If you see it written out, you'll see the word angel in the middle of that. Euangelion. It's a hard G in the Greek. But the word angel, is, it means messenger or message. And, and it means good message or good news, good word. And so it, if you'll hear that word in the Greek, euangelion, you'll recognize the word evangelism comes from that word, evangelism, which means to share the good news. And what is the good news? It's, it's simply this, that God has accomplished what is necessary through Jesus Christ to save us from our sins and give us eternal life. That God has accomplished that Jesus died for our sins, He was buried, He was raised on the third day and lives today. So He's accomplished all that is necessary to save us from our sins. So I could say it even more simply, the gospel, the good news is this, God is no longer counting our sins against those who believe in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's not about earning. It's not about being good enough. It's about Jesus being good enough in your place and you believing in Him, putting your faith in Him. And so he's talking about the gospel. He talks about his priestly service. But let's not forget verses 14 and 15 because I started at 16. But really 14 and 15, he's kind of dealing with something that, that maybe the believers in Rome had been thinking for, well, they've been thinking it for 14 chapters. Like, wow, that Paul's bold. Like we haven't even met him yet. And he spent 11 chapters giving us propositional truth about the doctrine of the gospel. I mean, it is heavy stuff. And then he spends three and a half chapters giving us kind of a prescription of what it looks like to live out the gospel. Wow, we haven't even met him yet, but boy, he sure is telling us some stuff like really boldly. And so he kind of addresses that for a couple of verses. And you have to remember, this is a letter. This is a letter. And so he's coming to the close of the letter and he's thinking, I have been pretty bold. I probably should mention something to him about that. And so he goes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. See that verse 14? 
I, I didn't write this because I was hearing something unsatisfactory about you. Uh, I'm, I know I've been really bold. He's, I, I, I myself am, am satisfied about you. And then verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly. And Paul says on some points, I read it, it it's, a, it's a lot of points. He's very bold on a lot of points. But he's, 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 he's talking to, his, to the readers now, uh, the believers in Rome, that would, this, this letter would have been read before the church in Rome. And then it was copied and spread around to all the churches. And, and he's going, look, I didn't write it because I was unsatisfied with you. In fact, I heard, I haven't met you yet, but I heard that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I've actually heard good things about you. Uh, in, indeed, my friends Aquila and Priscilla used to live among you until Claudius, the, the, the Caesar Claudius, expelled the Jews from Rome. And so I met them in Corinth. And I've heard good things about you. I'm not writing so boldly because I heard bad things about you. In fact, let me tell you why I'm writing. It wasn't because of anything unsatisfactory. I, I'm writing you, first of all, boldly by way of reminder. You see that verse 15? It's to remind you of the gospel. It's to remind you of all of its implications and how to live according to it. And so he's telling us something here about really the purpose of preaching. Do you know what my job is? I'm, I'm your reminder. I'm your weekly reminder, if you will. I, my job is to weekly remind you what Jesus did for you. Because you get out in the world all week long, and it wasn't, it's not really like you forgot, but it's kind of like you sort of let it lose its place of priority in your life. And so it doesn't matter that you already know it. You come back together to be reminded of it again, to kind of put it back in its proper focus and place. And so he says, on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. And then he says, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles for the gospel. And so he says, the second reason I, I wrote so boldly to you is because it's my job. God gave me this grace, which means a gift, and He's called me to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And if I don't, if I don't do what He made me to do, then I'm nothing. And so I didn't do it because I was dissatisfied you, with you. I did it because I wanted to remind you and because it's what I was called to do. I'm just doing what God told me to do. And so then he gets down to it. So we didn't want to skip that part because certainly the Apostle Paul didn't skip it. Now we're talking about this priestly service. Notice a couple of things. He says, I'm a minister. Priestly service. Offering. Acceptable. Sanctified. He's talking about what it looks like to offer uh, people to the Lord so that they come into faith. And then he says in verse 17, um, he says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, the word proud, that usually has a negative connotation kind of in our language today. I kind of prefer, and it could have been translated this way as it is in the NIV. In the NIV, that same verse is, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I kind of prefer that because that has a better understanding in modern English. And it's ideas like this. I glory in the calling that God has given me to share the gospel with people. I, I glory in Christ. I don't glory in myself. I glory in the work. I take glory in the work. I take pride, if you will, in the work that God has called me to. to. Now, let's deal with this question. 
Are you a priest? I mean, like if somebody, like you meet somebody new and they go, hey, so what do you do for a living? You go, well, I'm a priest. Do you ever respond? Anybody here reply? Like, no, you don't? You don't? Well, here's what the Bible says about you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what the Bible says. You are a chosen people. This is 1 Peter 2, 9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. The Scripture says you're a holy, royal priesthood. That's who we are. We, are, we represent God to planet Earth, telling them, here's what God did for us, and He wants to do it for you too. The church is not the steeple. The church is the people. And we're the people of God. A holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood representing God to the people of this world. That's the first way that we're the gospel church. Here's the second. By recognizing that it's a powerful ministry. You see what I did there? Man, we got, we got five Ps for you today. I'm telling you, this is a good sermon. You better like this sermon. I'm telling you. It's a powerful ministry. Look at verse 18 and 19. Verse 18 and 19. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. That's a power word, accomplished. By word and deed. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He's talking about the power that's been given to us to, to share the gospel. It's a powerful ministry. It has power. And so the word accomplished has, he, he's talking about that which God has done in him. And he says something here pretty amazing. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I don't know what you've been talking about since you, since you got to church this morning or since you got up this morning. Maybe, maybe you're an Astros fan and you're just like, man, I'm in a good mood, you know. Those Astros won the World Series. Or maybe you're from Philly and you, you, barely, you barely made it to church. Look. You know, you just barely drug yourself in here. I don't know what you're talking about this morning. Maybe you're talking about the weather. It's a beautiful day. Maybe you're talking about politics because we're voting on Tuesday. I don't know what you've been talking about. But here's what Paul tells the church at Rome and what we're hearing from Paul. He goes, you know what I've decided? I've decided the only thing I'm really going to talk to people about is what Christ has accomplished in me. I'm going to tell people what Jesus has done for me. That's how I'm going to live. I, I, I've decided that's, that's what I'm going to talk about. Hey, hey, did you watch the World Series last night, Paul? Uh, no, I missed it, but let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Hey, Paul, you, who are you voting for on Tuesday? I'm not sure about that, but let me tell you what Jesus did for me. <laughs> See, that's the kind of church that Paul's calling the church at Rome to be. He's saying, follow me. This is what it looks like to be the gospel church so that our main topic day in and day out let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Some people say, I don't know how to share the gospel. Would you know what Jesus did for you? Yeah. Well, by the way, you're the worldwide expert on that. Nobody else knows that story except you. So go tell that story. And Paul says, that's the story I tell. It's a powerful ministry because a testimony has great power. It's hard to argue with somebody who says, no, wait a minute. I know what I'm talking about because I've lived it. I've experienced it. And then he, he, he talks about his method here, the, the method of his 
sharing and talking about what Christ has done for him. He goes, has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Now, this is not obedience to, to law-keeping. He's not, he's not going, okay, Gentiles, you need to keep these Ten Commandments, and I, I need you to start obeying those. That's not what he's talking about. He, here's what he's talking about. When I share the gospel with someone, they hear it, and then I draw them to a place where they obey it. And what does it mean to obey the gospel? It means to place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to obey the gospel, to hear it. To obey it means to do what Romans 10.9 says, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it means say it with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's obedience to the gospel. And so he says, that's what I've done. And the three tools in my toolbox, and they're preceded by the word by. You see it in verse 19. There's three bys. In verse 19, the first one is by, uh, I'm sorry, it starts in verse 18. By word and deed. It's at the latter part of verse 18. By word and deed. So, Paul says, I, I, I share the gospel by word, but not just by word, but by action. And so, so I feed the hungry. I, I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I heal the sick. I take in the homeless. Uh, I give clothing to the one who, who is naked. I, th- this is Paul saying, my... My gospel word matches my gospel activity. And so, so to be a church that follows Paul's method is that our walk and our talk are identical. He said, that's, that's the first thing that I want you to know, church at Rome, is that that's the, that's, that's the method of, of the power of the gospel, is that when, when word and deed match. And then he says, by the power of signs and wonders. And what's Paul talking about now? Well, he had a miraculous ministry. The Holy Spirit used Paul to see people have miraculous life change and healing in their lives. And so I believe that we're supposed to be the kind of church that sees transformation in people's lives. Marriages healed. People that trust Christ for whatever, that, that, that are, they're coming into the presence of Christ and things are happening in their lives. They don't just, you know, our invitation is come as you are. Absolutely. But don't stay that way. Let the love of Christ change you. So that you become more like him. And so it was a, a, it was a signs and wonders ministry. And then the third by was by the power of the Spirit of God. And so he, he, he is saying, it's not my power, it's the, the power of the Spirit of God that makes the gospel effective through me. And that's what I'm calling the church to, he says. In, in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples right before his ascension, and he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says the Holy Spirit will empower you to do this. You'll have power. I I remember uh, Dr. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew, uh, gave a definition for uh, successful witnessing. Here's, here's how he, he gives that definition. Success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. Listen, you can't save anybody. And if you think that's your job, you've, you've misunderstood what it means to share the gospel. To share the gospel means you go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. That means you're prayed up and, and you go out and you're trusting Him for the results. And you just lay out the, the news. You, you just lay out the good news about Jesus and you leave the results up to God. Because you just never know how God's going to use that ministry. Will you recognize the power we have, church? 
The power we have. When I say church, I'm talking about us. The power that you have as gospel representatives. Recognize that power. Here's the third. By seeing that it's a pioneering ministry. I told you this was a good sermon. Now hang on. A pioneering ministry. We're in verses 19 and following now. And you get down uh, later in 19 and he starts talking about where he's been. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And so he's talking about how, where he's been. This is where I've been sharing the gospel and I've fulfilled it. In other words, I've done it. I, I've completed it. And then he goes on in verse 20 and he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then he quotes Isaiah 52, 12. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And he's basically saying, I want to see Isaiah's prophecy come true in me. I want to tell people about Jesus who have never heard the name Jesus. That's, that's, that's the pioneering spirit that was on Paul. He's already, he's already carried the gospel from Jerusalem to, to Illyricum, and when we name place names like this, it demands that we do what? What do we have to do? We have to see a map, people. And people, you know I love maps. Here's our first map. i got three maps for you today. It's a great sermon. I told you it was a great sermon. Jerusalem, he says, to Illyricum, which is... So here's what he's done. His first uh, missionary journey, he goes up to Galatia, and he hits these areas, and that's where he picks up Timothy. And then his second missionary journey, he comes up here, and he... And he uh, he gets Ephesus, and he goes all the way up here, and he goes over to Thessalonica, he, he, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Crete. So now he's got basically everything. His third missionary journey, he gets all the way and bumps up against uh, Illyricum. And so he's got this whole area now. Like the, everything surrounding the Aegean Sea. He's got Titus down here working in, in uh, the island of Crete, but he's got this area covered. And he's saying, I've done all that. I need, some, I, need a new, I need a new place to pioneer. I need to plant some churches in some new places. So this is what he's talking about. Now, why do I take the time, other than the fact that I just love maps, why do I take the time to do this? Because the Bible is about real people in real places. And so you, you don't skip over the names. Go look them up because it's about real people in real places. And so it's a pioneering ministry. And he says, I've completed it. I've fulfilled it. And, and he goes on. And he goes, this is the reason, verse 22, I've been hindered from coming to you. I, that's where I've been working. I've been working around uh, this area of Corinth and Ephesus, and, I, and, and it's taken me most of my life, you know, doing this. But I've been want, But now, since he says I've been wanting to come, I've longed for many years, verse twenty-three, to come to you, and I hope to see you on my way to Spain. Now, what's his heart here? He doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. Now, when I when I first planted this church, I had. Uh, I was going to seminary, and, and when I was in seminary, uh, we had a chapel there on the campus called Binkley Chapel. And in the basement, there was a, a bulletin board that every week I would look at, and it would have different little uh, posters with little tear-off tabs with phone numbers, and it would be like, need someone to fill the pulpit, and it would have a date, cover vacation, or church looking for uh, interim pastor, and so I was in seminary, and I was looking for opportunities to preach. And so I would tear those tabs off and start making phone calls and book myself some Sundays. 
And so my little family, we'd get in our little Subaru and we'd go to this church, this little country church. Then we'd go to that country church the following week. And what I started noticing was, I knew I was called, but I didn't feel like I was fitting in in these, these different churches. Because I didn't feel the calling of being a chaplain to a group of people that were already saved. I didn't, that's not the calling I felt on my life. So I got kind of confused there for a season. I thought, maybe I'm supposed to be an evangelist. Maybe I'm not. But then I started reading about church planting. And I hit this passage that I so quickly read over to you. And it broke my heart. Uh, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And I thought... Surely not, Lord, not me, I mean, but no, yeah, he wanted me to plant a church, uh, not building on someone else's foundation. So the church started in my living room with seven people. I say seven, that counts me and Robin, so we, got, we had a big Sunday that first time we got together, five people showed up. But, but that's how we started. And, and, and my wife looked at me, because we were going to seminary, and I thought, I thought maybe I was going to be an evangelist, and, and I had this big idea, it seems... It, it seems as crazy as the one I came up with. Like, we're going to be a traveling like musicians and share the gospel. And, you know, that's what I had kind of in my head. But then I felt like planting a church. And she's like, what? You're going to do what? And uh, so, so she married crazy, so she had to stick with me. Okay. <laughs> and, and that's how the church started. It kind, I kind of had a sense of what Paul was talking about. I was looking, how could I be part of a church that would have a door open to people that were far from God but wanted to hear more about God. A church that would be a gospel-centered church. And that's who we've tried to be for the past 30 years. The kind of church that's willing to pioneer uh, in order to reach people far from God. Well, I've got another map for you because Paul wants to go where? Does he tell them? He wants to go to Spain. So you look at this map and so now in that lime green color you see that's what the Roman Empire looked like. It basically had everything around the Mediterranean Sea. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, I'm in, I'm in Corinth right now writing this letter. I first have to take this offering from the Achaeans and the Macedonians to Jerusalem because there's a famine there and, and believers are starving. And so I'm going to take money there. And as soon as I finish that, I'm on my way to Rome. But I'm only going to be stopping off briefly because you guys are already saved, right? I, I didn't get the chance to do that with you. I wish I could have been there. But I'm going to stop off and hang out with you for a minute. But I need your help because I'm headed to Spain. And Spain had become a Roman territory uh, 200 B.C. When, the, when Rome overthrew the Carthaginians and they, they overthrew the general named Hannibal and they conquered southern Spain. Uh, Carthage is down here. And then in 19 B.C., uh, Caesar Augustus annexed all of Spain. And so here's, in, in Paul's lifetime, Spain was like the end of the known world. It's like if you go through the Rock of Gibraltar right here, you go out into the place where there be dragons there. I mean, it's like, you know, like maybe you fall off. Look what happens. You fall off the edge of the world if you go over here. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm going to stop off in Rome, and I need your help to partner with me to go to Spain, because nobody's heard the gospel in Spain. That's how Paul thinks. He goes, I, I want you to help me. I want you to partner with me. Uh, I want you to uh, help me get to, uh, to Spain. Well, here, here's, here's what we see here in Mark chapter 16. And this is what Jesus has really just, I mean, this is what 
Paul is really just obeying Jesus. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Paul's taking that literally. I'm supposed to go to all the world and take the gospel, take the good news to everyone. Now, we've been on several mission trips to Indonesia through the years. We've had missionary partners in Indonesia through the years. Some years ago, on my first trip, I visited Indonesia, and I met a young woman named Desak. And Desak invited myself and, and the small team that I was with uh, to, to her home to meet her family one afternoon. And so we went to her home this afternoon, and she lived in a very humble little house. And it had a thatch roof and just like these clay walls and a dirt floor. And so we went into the house, and we go in, and, and they had us all seated, and they brought out coffee and banana chips. And they began to, to, to introduce us to the family. And her parents had passed away, but her older brother was acting as the head of the house. His name was Made. And Made didn't speak English, but Desak was very fluent in her English, and so she's interpreting for us. And just so happened we had a case of Bibles in our car, and so I brought a couple of Bibles in, and these Bibles had Indonesian on one side of the page and English on the other side of the page. And so I handed a Bible to Made, the older brother, and I said, would you, would you read this and, and read it aloud? Can you read? He, he, you know, he, he could read Indonesian. So he read chapter 3 of the book of John. That's what I asked him to read, John chapter 3. And so he read about how Jesus told Nicodemus he needed to be born again. And then Jesus says to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so when he got to verse 16, I was following along in the English, and I could kind of feel where he was at in the Indonesian. I stopped him, and, and I asked him what he thought of this. And he raised his eyes and looked at me, and his eyes got really big. And he goes, I have never heard this before. I have never heard this before. And I had to take, just get a grip on myself not to burst into tears because I thought, why haven't you heard this before? But what a privilege to be here. And he began to talk to us about Isa, and that's how you say it in Indonesian and in Arabic, Jesus. That's how you say it. And we began to talk about Jesus, and we left him some Bibles behind. And I pray this day that Desak and Made, they didn't understand what it meant to be believers that day, but we left them the tools behind that they might understand. I pray to this day for them that they've come to Christ. Now, have you heard of the 1040 window? Do you know what the 1040 window? It's, it's the two latitude areas on the map that shows where the greatest number of unreached people live on planet Earth. Uh, we need another map if I'm going to talk about latitude. And so here's what it looks like. If it's in green, according to this map, they have a gospel presence in that part of the world where the gospel is being revealed to them and they, they, they have access to the gospel if it's in green. If it's in yellow, and you see little pockets of yellow, uh, that means there's access, but not a lot of penetration. There, there's still a great number of unreached people groups in that area. But if it's in red, that's called the 1040, the 1040 window, if you look at the latitude on a map. That's in red. That's where the greatest number, this is where the Muslims live, and where the, the Hindus live, and where the Buddhists live. That's, that's an unreached area where people have yet to hear the name of Jesus. And so, are we involved? Well, we have, we have two families right now that our church partners with living in Turkey. 
I can't name them because we go out online and, and it's uh, not a good idea to reveal names on the internet when you have people working in a closed country. But they're there. It's one of the greatest numbers of unreached people living in Turkey that have never heard about Jesus. We partner with them and we pray together and support them. But you don't have to go to Turkey. You just have to go next door. And if you go next door, you'll often meet someone that maybe they've moved here from another country, or maybe they've just never heard about what Jesus has done for them. So that's the third. Here's the fourth. By grasping that it's a partnering ministry. By grasping that it's a partnering ministry. We've, we've said that it's a priestly ministry, a powerful ministry. It's a pioneering ministry where you take Jesus where no one's heard. And it's a partnering ministry. Look at verse 24 and following. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. He's, he's already saying, yeah, i got to go to Jerusalem first. But when I come through... I'm going to need your help. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for your help in advance. And, and, and what he does, he does a little segue here. He goes, once I've enjoyed your company for a while, I'm going to hang out and fellowship with you for a while. But I know you, I know, because back in verse 14, I know I'm satisfied with you that you have knowledge and, and you're living according to the goodness of the gospel and you're able to teach each other. But what I really need for you is, from you is when I come through there, I need you to partner with me for Spain. He's, he's, he's casting a vision for Spain. Let's take the gospel to Spain and Roman believers get ready to help me when I come through. And then he tells them a story about what he's going to be doing at present, verse 26. However, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm bringing aid from Macedonia and Achaia. And why is he doing that? Well, there's a famine in Jerusalem and, and believers are dying there of hunger and so he's collected money among the churches that he's already been working in and he's showing them an example he's giving them a vision by example of what it looks like to partner for the cause of the gospel and I think he's this is not accidental it's not he's not just telling them what he's doing for no point he has a point this is the Apostle Paul the Holy Spirit speaking through him he's telling them the story so they'll recognize this is what it looks like to be the church we take care of each other and we partner together. We collaborate together. We're, we're not trying to be the only church in Wilson. We collaborate with other believing churches, gospel-believing churches, for the, for the cause of the gospel. And he's, trying to, he, he's telling the story, I really believe, in order to give them an example. And he says, he says, for they were pleased, verse 27, to do it. Man, they were happy to do it. And besides, they owe it to them. What? There's that word O again. We, we picked that up at the end of chapter 13. Oh, you know, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. You owe honor, pay honor. You owe respect, pay And then, it get, then, then verse the chapter 14, owe, owe no man anything except your love. There, here's the word O again. And here he's talking about how we really owe support of, of, to the Jews because Jesus came to us through the Jews. That's, that's really what the case he's making for. They were pleased to do it. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings from the Jews, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. So if, if, if they've helped us spiritually, we should, we should be willing to do the lesser thing because the spiritual thing is the great thing. We should be able to help them materially. Here again, he's telling them this as a teaching because 
the church in Rome is predominantly Gentile at this time because the Jewish people have been expelled by the Roman uh, Caesar uh, Claudius. He's preparing them how to think about support and how to partner. And he says, there, he says when therefore I have completed this, spe speaking of this delivery to, to Jerusalem, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Jesus. So I'm going to come with a spiritual blessing. And by the way, that implies you're going to help me because I know you're good people, that you're good and that you're well taught, and you're going to support me on the mission to Spain. He's helping them understand partnering. Here's what he says when he writes to the church at Philippi. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He calls us to partner together for the sake of the gospel. So we partner together financially. We support several local ministries. Just this weekend, we have the, a booth at the Whirly Gig Festival, and all the proceeds, I understand that we raised over $900 in one day yesterday selling $3 cotton candy and raffling off some things, and, and we've already raised that much. And every penny we raise goes to the Hope Station to help feed the hungry. And so we partner with Hope Station. We partner with, and I could go through the list. If you'd like to see the whole list, uh, let us know. We can get you the list. But we partner with so many locals, and we partner with so many internationals for the sake of the gospel. We're always looking for our gospel partnerships. And so we do this not only financially, but we do it physically by going and visiting them. Don't you want to go on a... Ever since COVID, I have not been on an international mission trip, and I'm just like vibrating like, whoa. Like for years, every year, one or two trips I would be on, we'd be taking people. I mean, that's who we are. I hope to get back to that soon, don't you? Uh, so if you can't go, you can give. And if, you, if you're unable to give at this time, you can always pray. But during Christmas this season, as every year, we're going to be... Get ready. We're going to be taking up our Christmas offering our Christmas missions offering, and all the proceeds of that goes to our international uh, partners. And we know we have one partner in Turkey right now who they've been walking uh, because they live in downtown uh, area, but they, they need a car. And so we're looking to raise some really extra money this year to help them get in a vehicle this year. And this is a family that grew up in our church and called out of our church. So this is us. And so after all, Christmas is... Jesus' birthday, right? And so think about, when you're thinking about gift giving, how are you going to give the best gift you can to Jesus who calls us to carry the gospel. And here's the fifth way. By perceiving that it's a prayerful ministry. By perceiving that it's a prayerful ministry. We're all the way up to verse 30 now. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God. To strive together in your prayers to God. He's calling the church at Rome to pray for him as he finishes this work, going back to Jerusalem, and to pray for him so he can get up there and get and be with them and carry the gospel to Spain. He's going, and it's not just, I don't, I don't want weak need prayers, I want some striving prayers. I want you to strive together with me in prayer. And he recognizes that he's risking his life going back to Jerusalem because he has many enemies there. And so he, he's very specific. He's very, he's very uh, vulnerable here. He, he's never met the Roman believers, 
But he shares a heartfelt prayer request here. He says, uh, verse 31, Strive together in prayer on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. He knows he's going into the lion's den. But he's going there because he feels called. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see people coming to to Paul and saying, don't go to Jerusalem. I I had a word from the Lord. If you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to be good. He goes, I know. But the Lord has told me that's, that's the road to Rome. I have to go there. And sure enough, he got an all-expense-paid trip to Rome, albeit in chains. Because when he goes to Jerusalem, he does get imprisoned and brought before a Roman court. And he appeals to Caesar, and he's put aboard a Roman ship, and he, he's carried to Rome. Although he, his ship is shipwrecked, he gets snake-bit on a beach, and finally ends up in Rome. But when he gets to Rome, he ends up being in a house And he's under house arrest for this long period of time. And during this time, he's preaching to Roman soldiers who can't leave. They're a captured audience because they're watching over him at house arrest. And then we read in the scripture that he, he influenced many people that worked in the palace and worked in the Praetorian Guard, which was the Caesar's Guard. And he, he had this time in, in Rome. Now, we don't know if he had a fourth trip. We don't know if he ever made it to Spain. But when I read the pastoral letters, when I read the prison epistles when he's talking to Timothy and Titus, there seems to be something different about him between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy where I think perhaps he did get to go to Spain. We don't know for sure, but I think he did. I think there are really two imprisonments at Rome, and it's the second one where Paul is beheaded by the Roman Caesar Nero. But on this first trip, I think he still got loose there for a while. I'd like to think so. Someday when we get to heaven, I'm going, Hey, Paul, whatever happened with Spain? Did you get to go? Because going to Spain would have been like telling the church, I'm going to the ends of the earth like Jesus told me to. That's, I'm sure, what Paul wanted to do. And then he closes with this this prayer. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He has three prayers in chapter 15. One in chapter 15, verse 5. One in verse 13. And then in all of these, he pulls out an attribute, an attribute of God. May the God of endurance and encouragement. Uh, may the God of joy. And, and then here, may the God of peace be with you all. May the God of shalom be with you all. He wants them to pray for him. Ephesians chapter 6 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We are to strive in prayer. If you can't go, you can give. And if you're not able to give, you can always pray. And besides, prayer is the strongest of the three. But many of us, I think, are called to do all three as we think about carrying the gospel to those places where people have never heard the name Jesus. Church, we're called to be a gospel church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this calling on our lives, and we pray that it would be so. I first of all pray for that one that may be here with us today, and you've never received the gospel. You've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it would be... um, Remiss of me if I didn't offer you that opportunity right now. So right in your seat, would you pray with me?
I, I know that the Holy Spirit has been talking to you, that He has desired that you would come to faith in Christ. And so would you pray with me? You can pray like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you were raised from the grave and that you live today. Come and live in me. Forgive me of my sin and make me a child of God. I want you as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to follow you today. If you're praying that prayer, believing the Lord will save you and make you a child of God. Others are here today and you're a follower of Jesus. And as a follower, He's called you to be a priest. He's called you to be an ambassador, a representative of the gospel in this world. And would you say yes to that right now? Would you say, yes, I want to tell people, I want to be involved with partnering with my church and with other churches, not just in this city, but around the world, to see the gospel proclaimed to the whole world until everyone has heard. And you want to be part of that, just say, I want to be part of that to the Lord right now. In Jesus' name, amen.